You're listening to I Am Here. So, hello, Haley and Veronica. Uh, how are the two of you doing today? Very, very well. <laughs> So let's just start off by just me double checking the two of you. Do you like to go by Haley and Veronica or? Uh, I usually go by V. Okay, awesome. So hello, Haley and V. Hello. <laughs> let's just jump right in. Why don't the two of you each just tell me a little bit about yourself and then how did you get into tabletop gaming? Ooh, awesome. All right, so I'm V. I'm one of the people at Story Brewers, and we've been doing a last for the Awful Sea in Good Society. I mostly do a lot of the art direction, graphic design, as well as game design. And how did you do you? And then we'll talk about how we got into it. <laughs> sure. Uh, so I'm Haley. so now you can tell our voices apart, hopefully, although we both have the same um, horrendous Australian accent. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the other half of Story Brewers, and um, yeah, as V mentioned, we tend to work on the game design together, and then I tend to do the most of the actual writing the, the words <laughs> in, that um, people see. And how we got started um, in role-playing. Tabletop gaming. In tabletop gaming. I, I would say we got started in tabletop gaming um, almost ca- casually because we've I've loved cards and like Monopoly and all of that sort of thing growing up but I just didn't realize there was anything beyond that that was amazing like most people um yeah and- nowadays we like hear Monopoly and we're like so dismissive and <laughs> critical of Monopoly oh who yeah. would play that game yeah so I used to just go to game shops a lot which is really fun but I didn't really know what those things are until one day one of the shop people were like hey I'm bored. Do you guys want to play Dominion for a while? And I'll teach you how to play this game. If you buy a copy, I'll I'll teach it to you. And I said, okay. <laughs> um, and that's how I got into tabletop gaming. Our first role-playing game that we ever played was Mouse Guard. And I still think that we ended up with it because it looks visually like a board game from the outside. Well, the box version. Yeah, it's it's such a fun game. But you're right. Like Visually, it definitely looks like a board game. And so I can see how that, that <laughs> mistake, a beautiful mistake. Yes, a wonderful <laughs> accident. Um, yeah, we had a lot of fun playing that game. We're, we're both uh, huge Red Wall fans in our childhood. So got to relive some of that. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Dominion's a pretty great introduction to tabletop gaming. And yes. Mouse Guard for a first RPG tabletop game is fantastic how did i guess what what kept you going to rpgs and what made you branch out further than mouse guard after you played that one um i think it was for when we when we started role playing it was quite fun to get our friends into it as well and sort of expand like hey this is a funny weird thing we're doing now but definitely i think very early on Haley was like ah wouldn't it be fun if we'd made our own weird version of <laughs> role-playing? Just for fun. It'll be great. So I, th- I think the drive to create was there very, very early on, especially for Haley. So how early is early on? Which is like within, within like six months. Yeah. Wow. I don't think that what I made at that time could be termed 
a role playing game. Yeah, <laughs> by good, current by the way. standards, it was really awful. Um, I'm pretty sure it was some sort of James Bond esque. Incredibly awful. Oh, so bad. <laughs> Nevertheless, fun. But eventually you went from an awful James Bond-esque <laughs> one that you created all the way to Good Society and uh, Alas for the Awful Sea. Fortunately. <laughs> Hopefully we're continuing to improve. I think I think definitely desire to create early on when you were sort of not super fully formed makes makes you go out there and learn games and read rules with a, with the sort of purpose and of like improving your and I think it also keeps you very open minded to what a game can be because when you start trying to make a game without knowing what a game is then you don't really have very many restrictions on you <laughs> <laughs> to that point what sorts of things have you incorporated in your game design that the more you got into designing games and playing games you realized didn't perhaps didn't exist in other games. Yeah, I would say there, was, there is a certain amount of modulation we went back towards more gamey game things. But I, like a couple of our, I would say a lot of our, more of our free games that we put on our website are a bit more experimental in their mechanics. mechanics. Um, I don't think we can claim anything super uh, to be super original. Well, I mean, Alas for the Awful Sea is based on, uh, is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. So we were right. fortunate for that game to sort of have a really, really solid base to work on. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that in Alas, having a two-tiered character system is an interesting... Um, so in Alas, you have your character role, which is uh, one aspect of your character, and also like a descriptor, which is uh, another aspect of your, of your character, um, an adjective that also um, describes who you are on top of the role that you are. So with those, you can mix and match those combinations, which is a bit interesting. That's really neat. I like that. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty cool. And we've considered giving it the subtitle "Sad Sea Feels" because every time we play it, that's kind of <laughs> that's a tone that it takes. <laughs> that's what we get, which is great. I that's, love that. That's, that's the goal, really. <laughs> that's a fantastic subtitle. <laughs> <laughs> So recently you had the very successful Good Society Kickstarter, which funded, and I'm so excited about it. I listened to the actual play on She's a Super Geek with Emily and Senda, who are amazing. That was so fun. (laughs) Thanks so much for supporting the game. I get so excited when I see these really unique and um, not not only uniquely designed, but unique worlds. And so I really want to know, what made you think Jane Austen? <laughs> what made you want to play in a Jane Austen world? And, and how did you come up with Good Society? I think that there is something, not everybody would agree with me here. So I'll put that out there. But something enthralling and captivating about Jane Austen's world that intuitively, even if you're not somebody who's a huge fan of the time period or of Austin's work specifically, makes you want to be in that situation. It makes you want to be those people that you're reading about and like imagine how you would hold up or what might happen to you or what your fortune might be. For me, that was certainly like the idea from Good Society sort of stemmed, like the very, very first granule sort of stemmed from that compulsion when I was Possibly watching the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think there's a lot of, like, when when we sort of, when the idea came up and we were sort of first passing it for like, well, would this work? How would it work? Would it be interesting? I feel like there is some parallels in the sense of like, you're creating a story. Austin is like this literary 
story, genre. There's also like um, a lot of conversations that are happening in uh, the books and role-playing is entirely a conversation. Mm, yes. So there were some parallels there that were promising, um, as well as, of course, it would be ins- insanely fun to be incredibly hoity-toity and witty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I, I think when we were like, okay, this 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 might be a really great idea, then the next point was, oh, would, would people want this game? That was an interesting question and I was like oh I really hope if we do put it on Kickstarter that we would fund and and clearly people did want yeah wanted very very (laughs) glad not only is it great to have the game done so well it's like a subtle form of validation for my personal feelings about Jane Austen that I can see that they're (laughs) widely shared in the gaming community so (laughs) that's awesome yeah I have to say with um we've been lucky in that like such a rich world to draw on, but also trying to do justice for it. Like, yes, um, is definitely a pressure that we feel. Oh, I imagine so. To capture the vibe of of Jane Austen's world from mm. how how she described it, I can imagine the kind of pressure that you must have felt. I definitely think, at least of what I've seen so far, that you're capturing that. Thank you. <laughs> how how has your experience in tabletop gaming and who you are, you know, how do you feel that that has impacted how you design and the way you play RPGs? I think that's an interesting question. I haven't I I, I haven't had a lot of opportunity to think about how my life outside of role playing might have impacted. How how will we playing. answer for each other? Because <laughs> we would know that better, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really funny. Yeah. Okay, so, sure, well, I'd love that. By way of background, Haley and I are actually married, so we feel like we would. Uh, this is. Oh, I, I didn't easy. know that. <laughs> no, <laughs> so this is no. a, a <laughs> test of our relationship. Right, oh. it's just thrown out there. It's on the line <laughs> Wonderful. now. Wonderful. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Which partly explains why we design games together. There's a lot of time in our life together, but <laughs> I would say the reason you know things that informs Haley's design. Um, from her personal life would be the fact that her background <laughs> is in I'm thinking too much of a um, good society now. Her background <laughs> is uh, in playwriting originally. Like that's what she enjoyed doing for many, many, many years, and that was like sort of a hobby. So playwriting and sort of story write, um, story creation, idea generation. These are all things that were already there. And I think role-playing was a meet, like with playwriting, it was very frustrating because you would need to get like a, your play put on and actors to play the parts. And it was like a big thing to have it. See, seeing your story reflected back at you took a lot of effort. Whereas with RPGs, not only is it like incredibly fun and a hobby that people get into, you get that feedback a lot quicker. And I think that was something that helped, helps Haley's design, like, writing something, creating a whole ton of um, ideas and having that reflected back um, through what, you know, play and having those play tested and seeing other people play that game. And the second thing is just role-playing has got a lot of different weird experimental genres in the indie RPG uh, scene anyway. And so I think Haley's very weird as a person and very funny. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a vehicle to allow that expression to come out of. And I, I think sometimes you read like jokes in any of our texts or funny things. That's probably Haley. It's probably not me. I'm like A, B, and C, and then Haley makes jokes while she writes. So the humor is mostly Haley. For me to say that I think 
I think that one thing that really assists V and that I've found invaluable when we've been game designing together is that in V's other life, um, she is actually a lawyer and um, she actually does have a really, really great analytical mind and procedural clarity, which is something that I never thought would be like, hey, that's super useful for designing games, but it actually is really, really useful, especially in the early game design stage where I'm like, I have like we've come up with all the stuff that V is able to like make it into a game. (laughs) Yeah. I mean that, that lends perfectly to the phrase rules lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like V literally is that for you. (laughs) Well, I came up very early on. I came up in the drafting stage. I was like, Haley, if you're going to write a draft of this chapter, please use these heading levels. <laughs> I thought that no was more. the graphic designer talking. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I love that, though, because that sounds like the two of you have this wonderful um, like balance of, of very analytical versus very um, like open-ended creative. Not that being analytical isn't creative, mm. but detail-oriented versus big picture. And it sounds like the two of you have a wonderful balance of that. Yeah. I mean, I do think we do both bring both components in different situations. Um, but yeah, if we had to pull out maybe what we were most like as most people, comfortable with, yeah. I think, yeah, because we, we do try to switch those hats on for the game design elements anyway, where, you know, I'll bring an idea that I wanted to explore. Or these are all my crazy things. Let's try and sort it out. It does happen in reverse, but I would say that that plays less towards a, like, I guess a personality or our natures. You know. <laughs> Certainly, but personalities are like an an innate part of us, but that doesn't mean we can't learn the parts Mm, that aren't mm. innate. I mean, I didn't realize the two of you were married, and (laughs) I think that must lend especially well to to the story elements and, and to the way that you tell your stories. Has that impacted the way that you tell stories i've and and by that i mean i've had a lot of conversations with folks from the lgbtq communities mm-hmm. who say that being part of that community tells their story in a way that isn't told in the mainstream rpg community do you, do you feel that affects your storytelling or your game design really explicitly or overtly or do you feel that it's kind of more a subtle underline of how you design or how you play i feel that very overt part is the bit where we are i don't know if i don't know if we can claim to have succeeded but at least conscientiously trying to be inclusive in our games of people of all genders and sexualities and have that option available for example in good society um there's a phase in the beginning called the collaboration phase where you sort of decide what kind of game you want to play. You know, do you want a rom-com or a drama? And one of the questions in that section of the game is, how would you like to treat the historical gender norm? Do you want to play with it on? Do you want to play with it off? Or do you want to play with it reversed? And, like, I think that is definitely born from our personal experiences and my personal desire to be able to play all the things I love about Austin but without the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, without the patriarchy and without having to deal with like, you know, viewpoints towards sexuality and gender that they had then that were very toxic. I, I don't feel the need to reproduce those at the table. Yeah, which is a struggle that we sometimes have because we, we like to explore historical themes, at least mm. in the two big games we've done so far. 
And so it, it definitely has been a thing that we've been conscious of whether, you know, sort of the bigoted or whatever aspect of the past that we feel doesn't hold up now because role-playing is supposed to be fun. You don't want to be like putting people in any uncomfortable situations where the history is oppressing them again and again. Yeah, and I've had a lot of people say to me, playing Good Society when we go through that collaboration phase, um, a lot of women, oh, I like to play with gender norms off because I get oppressed by the patriarchy enough in my daily life, so... (laughs) (laughs) I don't really want to do it in fiction. Like, I get that. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) I so love that is part of the beginning of your game, that phase, because something that I've heard a lot of is just not having that exist in your game. So if if you've played Dungeons & Dragons or heard people play Dungeons & Dragons, there's always a talk about how Elves and dwarves are racist against each other, mm-hmm. for example. And I suppose not just in, in D&D, but also in fiction such as Tolkien. Mm-hmm. But I think that a wonderful thing that we do in RPGs, at least I've seen as players and GMs, is that doesn't have to exist in our world. And what I've seen is a lot of that is either not explicit in game design, or it's up to the the players and the GM at the table deciding that that's the world they want to Mm -hmm. run in. And the beautiful thing that I love that you incorporated is that it's so explicit and overt right at the beginning is like, this doesn't have to be the patriarchy. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Rather than creating the game and not overtly saying it and forcing players to have to go, okay, what if we, what if we play with the rules a bit so that it's not a patriarchal Jane Austen world? You've pulled the work out of the players and GM and put it into the designer. And and I really love that because that shows just such a wonderful level of inclusivity that I think you see most often in indie game design and you don't see it as often in some of the larger companies. And I think that designers like you are really paving the way for the expectation as design moves forward by, by being explicit and overt mm-hmm. about that sort of thing. Yeah, I think a lot of people are doing it increasingly in indie role-playing games, and I think it's a really great thing. And I can't see us making a game that doesn't have something similar to that in it again, a a longer game, certainly, the game that you play for more than one session. Definitely. I mean, with with there's two aspects of that, I would say, that collaboration is really important, especially in good society, because the game is so collaborative. Like, the rest of the game relies on the players and the GM collaborating a lot and therefore you need to set ground rules very early on. So definitely that's why it's essential. And two, because like Jane Austen, a lot of those novels are about repression in some form or another. Like you are going to be exploring some themes of repression, but collaboration is a way of indicating which parts of those things you're interested in and which parts you're not. My personal viewpoint is that the collaboration phase is a great inclusivity tool and a great way for groups to really feel like they can take um, inclusivity into their own hands. But it's not just that. It's actually a fantastic tone-setting tool. It's a fantastic tool to allow people to shape the kind of game they want to have in all respects. And the way in which the questions, from a game design point of view, I guess, the way in which the questions that you choose to include shape the game is huge and astonished me much. Like, I was 
because originally when we had this game in playtesting, early playtesting, it didn't have a collaboration phase. I think that came about halfway through. Mm. And I was astonished by how much impact it had on the game and how much better it made the game, just by explicitly talking about what kind of game you wanted to create. And just, like, I think that the choice of questions turned out to be really important because they really ended up framing um, how people saw the game as a whole. So I found that very interesting. Absolutely. And and like I said, I think that by helping players shape that game collaboratively is is quite a bit different than a lot of other games go about because often it's here's the GM's guide and the GM is going to build this world and the GM is going to take you through this story. And it's often up to the group of players in the GM to come up with whether or not they want to do it that way themselves versus the game leading them through that process. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think it, I think it's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> awesome. And it's so heartening to see so overtly in your game design. Fortunately, it's one of the areas of the game that's like, yes, we've nailed it. Now all those other parts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now to fix the other 95%. Yeah. <laughs> We've just finished the feedback phase. That's why. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, it'll. I'm so excited to see the final product. It'll be. It'll be brilliant. <laughs> you already have such a solid, solid base. Mm. <laughs> have heart. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We do. We're probably. It's. It's our Australianism <laughs> to be very self-deprecating. <laughs> yeah, we didn't mention that when we were saying how personal life influences our game design. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I feel like that's any creator, not just Australian creators. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's probably true, yeah. So I want to know about your inspiration. What inspires you to design? What inspires you to play? Is it each other? Is it other designers? Hmm. I, I definitely think it, there is like uh, each other and, and our friends um, who have been so lovely and, and really into role-playing as well. That helps you make time for role playing, which can sometimes be hard, like mm. when work is busy or everyone's got different schedules. Like that desire to enjoy each other's company in a way that you're having fun with role playing is great. Is is really ticks a lot of my needs boxes. <laughs> so that inspires me to play more. And in order to, in creating more definitely having Haley be around a lot and just continuously talking about role playing or hey I saw this, it was re- really interesting. Oh, and then we talk about mechanics and then suddenly it's 25 minutes later and we're like, oh, we should really clean the house. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it's like, it's all about playing for me. Role playing is like playing and then designing is playing with ideas in that context. It's really fun. So it's, it's a very childlike wonder and that, that makes me like want to keep me inspired and like looking through the world with these fresh eyes kind of feeling. So it keeps me going. That's well delightful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is very well said. It's probably why I'm not so intellectual about RPGs. So it's just like, ah, it's so fun. I yeah. love rules. Rules are the best. <laughs> it's, it's like rules, but more I think fun. that is a co- is the core of it, though. It's that delight in the story and what a story could be that is the most addictive thing for me about role playing games. And the fact that you get to do it every time, like <laughs> you, you take something that, that is nascent or that didn't exist and full of excitement and possibilities and you shape that into a shared experience is like a pretty, pretty addictive thing for me. Mm. Having it be a shared experience as well is amazing. Yeah. It's, a, it's so community building 
Yeah, it's so good. And it's often like with role playing, if you meet a role player and you're like, hey, um, and you hear them talking about, uh, they, and talking to one of their friends who also role plays with them, they usually have a lot of like stories together, like jokes. Like, yeah. Yes. That sort of thing that you build up over a lot of um, sessions. It's really great to see that. It feels very, very good. <laughs> and it creates shared memories and mm. shared experiences because then you have the memories of actually playing as well as, you know, the experience of, of what your characters did, your, your <laughs> fictional memory. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is just such a wonderful thing to see created. I, I love that aspect of role-playing games is – the whole collaborative creation of a story and a world that you all have a part of, and then to finish that story and step away with that sense of accomplishment or excitement or, or dread, (laughs) 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 depending on which way the story went. (laughs) I think it also creates these safe places to be who we want to be or who we wish we could be or Mm. these safe spaces that create a world that we wish could exist or that we would want to see exist that we maybe don't get to see in real life. Yeah, for sure. I think like role-playing games are uh, emotional and uh, narrative playground for a lot of ideas we might want to explore and exciting things we might want to to mm. do narratively. I think I I think that well I mean I think one of the big themes coming through in our discussion seems to be that it is a lot about play and people. I yeah, and and emo- I think it was interesting you said that like it makes you feel stuff when you're playing it. Mm. It's very very um great in that way that you can like be playing a game and genuinely be really really sad about what's you know like you kind of you know that it's a game and it's fictional, but you also feel those emotions. It teaches you empathy very well if you let it. Actually, there are some people who don't never learn empathy. From <laughs> but I would say if you're open to it, then it, it's it's also a great way of sort of getting stepping into another character's shoes or yeah, exploring different status of power. Sometimes, like I, I sometimes play it like to be like to have power or to not have power and. That feels different when you're playing different characters. One thing that I think is tangentially related to that <laughs> occurred to me in that moment is that for me, the experience of playing a role-playing game doesn't have to be objectively good for me to have fun. Or my aim in creating games isn't to create role-playing game experiences that are objectively good in the sense like if you recorded them and listened to them, what well, you know, would you what would you find that worthwhile? I think it's much more about the shared experience of creating a game that you want to play exactly what you said earlier. And that might not be something that is intelligible or accessible or understandable to anybody else or desirable to any other, any other group of people. And that's one thing that I really like about role playing as well. It's, it's, it doesn't have to be like, the thing is, as they mentioned, I used to come from a playwriting background and, the restrictiveness of that is that when you create something, it's got to be perfect, right? It's for the viewer. It's not for you. And I think role-playing is very different to that. When you're at the table creating a story, it's for you and everyone at your table. It's not for anyone else. And for me, that is another one of the delights that really draws me to role-playing game as opposed to any other medium. I love that. Absolutely. Beautifully said. I think you're right. Like the, the thing about it being emotional in the way that you want it to be 
I think it also gives us permission to explore emotions and state of beings that society doesn't give us permission to do, or that our longstanding patriarchal society uh, has certain viewpoints on. So, mm-hmm. so what I mean by that is being emotional. For so long, women were told that they're too emotional and women are just these emotional beings and these emotional creatures. And so over time, I think women and, – and it's detrimental to both men and women because it's saying, oh, women, you need to stop being so emotional. And men, being emotional is girly and it means you're not a real man. And it's a really neat thing when I see at my table my players, women and men, being emotional and getting invested into this game and being really sad or really happy or really scared and embracing that emotion where perhaps um, in their real lives or from the viewpoint of society would would not be the norm. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's make-believe is fun. <laughs> it gives us a lot of lateral... It's Well, I think it's valuable yeah, as well as fun yeah. is sort of what, we are, what yeah. we're getting at. Absolutely. So I want to know as... Maybe it's putting you on the spot, but <laughs> what is your favorite RPG to play, to GM? Like, what do you keep going back to and why do you keep going back to it? That last part is a tough one because yeah. I, I feel like we, we don't actually have a long-standing game because part of it for us is also really trying to improve by consuming a lot of brilliant designs by um, many, many, many other designers. Yeah. So we are actually, I, I would say, particularly not good at at playing the same game over and over again just because we're trying to present experience new games all the time i i really enjoyed running masks for the magpie games i really enjoy running that in a small part because the the game book has a great 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 section about um how to gm for particular characters and character archetypes that people might play so that's really good for if you're like Starting out, you're trying, you can't, you know, you're trying to prepare to be a GM, but you're like, oh my god, there's so much to do, I am panicking. You just let your, uh, your, you know, players pick their characters and then focus your preparation around those characters. And that really puts um, a focus on how you're preparing as a GM. And I think that was a very good experience to do, to do it that way for me. Mm. Yeah, good advice there. I, I love that, though, that you don't necessarily keep going back to the same games, because I think that... If we go back to the same games over and over, you either become really good at those and telling stories in those types of games, or you become really good at telling any kind of story via exploring different kinds of systems. Um, Because all different systems have a basis of different kinds of stories and different kinds of outcomes. And and I really like that, that you do that. I think that that likely also has a huge effect as game designers Mm. and what you bring to the table, like to the design table, because you can say these are elements that I wish had have been different, or these are elements that didn't exist, Mm. or these are elements I would have changed. Absolutely. Being standing on the, you know, having, having a huge stock of indie games to draw, like draw on and and understand and discuss is such a, uh, like such a, Blessing? I don't yeah. know what is it like. It's like it I think exactly like what you were going to say is right. Standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, that's sorry, I didn't finish that thought. Yeah. In my head, I did. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we we have the privilege of doing. Yeah, because we're not like I don't feel like we're at we're sort of not super early on in the 
indie RPG scene in that area has grown so much and we, so many people have already built up these things and um, helps us to see that whole scope and see where if we can take it anywhere. I don't know. We're still too early for that. <laughs> for me, I'm definitely drawn to games that have a, a strong genre element that, that uh, profess to explore one particular experience rather than every experience. So, I mean, niche niche experiences are my jam. And obviously, history, <laughs> historical ones don't hurt. <laughs> particularly, particularly interested in those kind of games as well. Haley was a history major in her degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's that's definitely true. We do like to make sort of more niche games. And play. That I mean, and personally, me. I, I don't know. I, 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 I like playing. I I like the big rangy like yeah I don't mind them as much as you do. <laughs> oh, it's not that I mind them at all. I think there's a lot of great ones. I just I'm really drawn to games that nail a single experience. Yeah, I like that. That's good. I guess how how have you how has your experience in the tabletop gaming community been? Um, either as designers or or as general players players GMs, have you have you always felt like it is a space for you or have has part of your design been to create a space that you felt was lacking or was missing something? Um, I think we've been fairly fortunate in, uh, I mean, there's a lot of stories about women or, or LGBTQI or yeah, or like sort of having bad experiences at, at conventions or in um, the community. So I think we're fortunate enough in that, that, hasn't I can't think of a really like negative time that I've I've had to butt up against something like that. Those there have been definitely like accidental racism or <laughs> casual bigotry in game, which can be a bit uncomfortable, definitely. But as a whole, I think I've had most like yeah, very positive experience in the community. I have felt very like out of place a couple of times. As like I'm like this tiny Asian girl. Even though, you know, I look very young. <laughs> Constantly surprised that I, like, yeah, make games or sell games. We like, got ID'd buying an M15 Plus video game. So <laughs> just to put you in context here. <laughs> um, so that's, that does, like, sort of put you on edge a bit. Like, we were selling, um, I think, a last of the year, we'll see, at a card. And I think there's more than one time people sort of double take when you're like, oh, you are, you're the creator? You're, you're the one who made Have this? you finished high school? Can, can you write yeah, this? So, so there is like those moments definitely I've just been like, oh, you know, then it makes me feel very uh, put out a little bit. Like, you know, oh, I'm always trying to hope people take me seriously. And that's something that I struggle with. And I think that probably is because of partly to do with my like size and being looking young and being a girl, all these things, like probably that's the most negative thing I've, I've um, experienced. But otherwise, I think it's been very, very welcoming. Like definitely from a playing point of view, definitely I've, I've really enjoyed that. It's more like um, running and, and trying to be taken seriously, that sort of And I suppose that's something that is, is a change that I guess no, hopefully nobody can argue. I'm sure somebody can, but hopefully <laughs> nobody can argue with, um, with wanting, wanting that not to be the norm anymore. You yeah. said, you know, being taken seriously. That's something that many underrepresented and marginalized groups experience is not being taken seriously yeah. or the surprise that comes with 
an individual having been the creator. (laughs) And that's something that the more we work towards normalizing via game design, via gameplay, via being loud and explicitly saying that we belong here, is something that at least I'd like to see change in the RPG community where where you don't have to have that feeling of discomfort, Mm. where if you're selling your game... Nobody takes a double take. <laughs> and sometimes it's not in a negative way. They just genuinely very, you know, but you still notice that it's like, oh, wow, you've done so good for yourself. Like, it's actually a very positive thing in a way. Certainly. And it's not It's not that people have ill intentions. That's right. That's the thing. But it, it's the fact that that exists to begin with. Mm. It would be nice for that to just not exist and for there to be no yeah. almost congratulatory thing around oh you're a woman congratulations on making a game yeah (laughs) (laughs) that kind of patting on the back that congratulatory even though it 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 is a a positive to a certain extent where people are like oh wow you made this congratulations that's great by the way everyone still do that please i need that for my yes (laughs) of course (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, more so in in the surprise, the normalization of it would be amazing. And and I guess that's like a, a more society wide issue anyway. Like mm. I have much more trouble with it as a lawyer than I do yes, in game design. But but um, uh, yeah, definitely, it would it would be great. <laughs> Certainly, and and I think you're right. It's societally yeah. the, the more we normalize yeah. it, the less it will become weird or strange mm. or different. I think the internet has helped a lot with that because people don't, you know, you're somewhat anonymous on the internet or like as in people don't see you when they hear of you in the internet necessarily. So they make less assumptions about you than they might do if they just saw you in real life. You have more opportunity to be judged by what you create before what you look like rather than the other way around. Yeah, that's true. And that's kind of a hidden benefit of 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 being online but i imagine for you as well i'd like to see that that judgment always be of the work and not of the person Mm. right off the bat so on on a lighter note i love the name story brewers (laughs) it's so perfect and I want to know how you came up with it. Oh, we had so many iterations. I think before it was Story Brewers, we were kind of like doing like a moonshine homebrew type thing. Okay. Is that the very first one? Yeah, it evolved from, it evolved from moonshine games because I think the thing that was originally very important to us was the idea of like that we, we made games with intention. Right. We... Uh, that's that's really not a good way of phrasing it at all, was it? Like sort of like you know, like beer <laughs> movement or something like that. Where yeah. Sort of like I picked these ingredients yeah. especially because they combine together to make this particular yes. kind of drink, which you drink only on a forty-five degree weather day, but with no ice cubes. Oh, you know what I mean? Like it's Thanks, Fee. Like- that that's a much better way of putting it. <laughs> yes. That that we we make games with specific intentions rather than any intention <laughs> that we, we really put our heart and soul into what we create to make it something that's quite specific to the experience that we intend people to have. And I really think the name story brewers comes from that. But I also think that it, it sort of like has this, you know, like if we, if we'd made a game, it's still yours to claim at the table and then you enjoy it yourself mm. at the table. Like that's, Sort of like the a beer, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like in, in that, that's one half. Creating a game as a game designer is one half of the equation. 
and the other half that balances it in, you know, like in maths where they both equal the same side on each side kind of thing. The other side is you guys at the table, the players, the GMs of the world who make that story and that game their own. And that's really cool. I love that. That's that's a wonderful explanation. I didn't expect <laughs> I didn't expect such such like depth and love behind behind your name. I was like, oh, Story Brew is like, you know, like a, a brewmaster brews beer. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> You're a brewmaster of stories. <laughs> such lovely depth behind the the creation of the name. That's beautiful. Thank you. I guess names have power, so we thought about it a while before we settled on it. So it was, it, and for me, I mean, I, I guess it was important because I was like, no, we'll be stuck with it forever. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to like it. Names do have power, and and I think that they do take such. <laughs> you have to consider them with a lot of like weight. <laughs> I love that. This has been a lovely conversation. Mm. I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, it's been really fun. us too. Thanks for having us. It's been really great. So thank you. Is is there anything else that? either of you or the two of you wanted to talk about or say before I hit the stop recording button. Thanks for everyone who supported us so far. <laughs> Yay, but we always say that. I don't know. I think we're done. Thank you, the tabletop role-playing community, for being amazing. Yeah. That's probably <laughs> it. I Am Here podcast, presented by RPG Casts, is made possible by listeners like you. You can help keep the show going, get sweet excess bonus content for as little as $2 a month when you become a patron on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash rpgcasts to check out exclusive rewards for patrons and make your pledge. I Am Here is a production of RPG Casts. The intro and outro music was composed by Emily E. Mayo. Special thanks to Peter Grelly for designing the graphic art and assets for both RPG casts and for I Am Here. Visit the website at IamHerePodcast.com for show notes, transcripts, and so much more. You can find more about RPG casts by going to RPGcasts.com and follow on Twitter at, at RPG underscore casts. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening to I Am Here. It means so much.